I'm sure that in this number of people, there are a lot of you that have worked in a manufacturing type environment or retail environment, and you're familiar with inventory, annual, annual inventory. Taking inventory is a pain. Uh, those of you that have been in those places, uh, I was a manufacturing guy for most of my life, so I never really liked inventory. You had to stop production. You had to count everything in the place. It was hugely unproductive. You know, it just, we weren't making any progress the days that we were involved in inventory. Uh, my theory was we always did it just to make the accountants happy. Uh, Gave them something to do once a year. Uh, they got their clipboard and they got to walk around and tell everybody else what to do, and they were happy for that day. So, uh, some of you accountants are frowning for some reason. But I was a manufacturing guy. That's the way I, I figured it. Uh, but there was some good to come out of inventory. Uh, we'd uncover things that we did wrong or sometimes something that we did right. I remember one inventory where we had some counts that were just too far off to be reasonably off. Something was wrong. Something was out of whack somewhere, and we got to checking back through the records and investigating and actually finally got a, a retired police officer to help us do some investigation found a guy had been stealing. He was pretty good at it. But inventory turned it up. And a few days later, I helped him pack his desk up and walked him out of the plant. Wouldn't have found that probably without a good inventory. Sometimes we'd find things that we had bought too much of or not enough of, and we could uncover errors in the system. Uh, I went, worked for a company that had recently bought a bus company and was starting to make buses, and we weren't real good at that yet. We always made things one of a kind, and now we were running a production line, and we didn't know how to do that too well. And at inventory, all of a sudden we found out we had steering wheels for buses, lots of steering wheels for buses. They were stacked a number of different places, and nobody had kind of quite caught on to that. Uh, sometimes engineers will make a mistake in the number of something per a unit, but this isn't hard. You know, one bus gets one steering wheel. And we had, I can't remember how many we had, but we had way too many. And checked into it, and sales had made a bad forecast, and somebody in purchasing had believed that forecast, ordered a whole lot of steering wheels. Then the engineers had made a change or two to the steering wheels, so we had a bunch of different kinds of steering wheels around, another bad forecast, and we ordered more, and we had lots of steering wheels. So sometimes what I'm trying to tell you is stopping, even though it seems kind of unproductive, stopping and, and just counting everything, just, just looking at things, can be a help. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves. Don't count your inventory. You can do that if you want to, but examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Second Corinthians thirteen five says. 
Now, I admit that verse doesn't say to do it annually. It certainly doesn't say to do it first Sunday of the new year. Actually, if you really follow the Bible, probably it's closer to examining yourself weekly than any other commandments. Uh, We're told to do that at the Lord's Supper. Before we partake of that, we're supposed to examine ourselves. I think that's a good weekly practice. Think, how did this week go? How did I do? Did I get closer to Christ or further away from Him? What, What went on this week? It's not mandatory, but I think it's a good time to think about those kind of things. But let's just kind of take it today, since this is the first Sunday of the new year, and think about this examining yourselves, stepping back, taking inventory, if you will. Uh, Don't have to stand in front of a full-length mirror, but maybe that's a good image to think of, except it would be a full-length rear-view mirror because that's where we're going to start. That's my first assignment for you as we look back and plan ahead. And I know some of you, when I said assignment, kind of got your bristles up. No, he can't give me an assignment. I don't have to do that. He can't make me. No, I can't make you. In fact, I don't expect many people to do what I'm going to recommend this morning. That's just because I know the numbers. I know how people are. I did a little looking this week about people with resolutions and how they do on that and all that. This one surprised me. It said 45% of people usually make a resolution at New Year's. Only 45% even bother to make one. 38% said they never make a resolution. That surprised me. I figured more people than that would at least make one, but... Less than half usually make one. Um, so I don't expect everybody in here to say, oh, this is a, this is a good advice. This is what I'm going to go home and do. Uh, I expect less than half will consider it very seriously. Less than that will probably take some action on it. But the folks that want to make some spiritual progress in 2015, this, this is some good advice. Not because I came up with it, because it's from the good book. So here's the first assignment, is is look back. Uh, The Bible tells us to count our blessings. Well, that's the first thing I want you to look at. I want you to look at two things as you look back at 2014 and beyond that if you want. First, count your blessings. I'm going to get a piece of paper write this stuff down. Look back at your health. And admittedly, some people will count more blessings in each of these areas than others. But just think through how things have gone in your health, your your safety, your friends, your family, your material needs, the things that you you have, how he's answered prayers, uh, maybe your spiritual growth. Think through the ways you've been blessed in 2014. Now, if you do that, I think almost all of us, it would make us more appreciative of how good we have it. My brother Gary mentioned that in his comments. Yeah, we've got snow outside and it's freezing cold and all that. And none of us are suffering from that. We get along just fine. 
And compared to everybody else in the world, we get along wonderfully famously. And if you stop and think about, yeah, I've had a few health problems, but overall, yeah, I've had this problem, but overall, you look at how you've been blessed. I think it will make us more generous if we really did that. If you really stopped and wrote down and thought through how you've been blessed, I think we'd be more generous. I think if we did that, it would definitely make us think about God more. It would turn our thoughts to Him if we really counted our blessings. Now, once you've counted your blessings and get them all written down somewhere, then I want you to count your trials and your failures. Examine the bad things that happened in 2014. The places that you got tempted and, and failed. The things that were really, really tough to get through. And some of us won't have many of those in this year. Maybe it was a bad year for some of us. We'll have a lot of those. But you write all those down. And uh, I read one comment about this. The fellow said the hardest part about counting your blessings and, and counting your trials is you can't tell the difference. I don't think we can for a while. I think a few years from now, if we went back and looked at this list, we'd say, well, I counted that a trial, but man, that was a blessing. So, number one, we, we can't, <laughs> can't do this too well, but best we can, count your trials and your failures. Now, just like a physical inventory, if you, you find something that went wrong, you can maybe take some action so it won't go wrong again. You can figure out how you got in that mess. You know, so you see, if you don't do this, if you don't look at your failures, you know, you're going to have 2,000 steering wheels someday. It's just going to keep piling up. But stop, count your trials, count your failures, look at them. Uh, one reason we can't tell the difference is the Bible says, what's it say about trials? tribulations. It produces things. It makes us better. It produces patience. It teaches us things. Uh, so we look at it as, boy, that was a really hard thing, but a few years from now we may look back and say, okay, I, I profited from that. Yeah, that was really, really hard, but I'm a lot more compassionate now about people in that situation. I, I've grown in this. As you count your trials and failures and things that didn't go right, uh, you may think of all sorts of things. Uh, Luke 13 tells a little parable about a man that planted a fig tree, and he worked hard on it. He, he dug around it, and he fertilized it, and he uh, took care of it all the time. It was barren. It just never had any figs. And finally, one year, he had had it. He said, told the the groundskeeper said, just cut that tree down, get rid of it. And the keeper said, Master, let's give it one more year. Let's just keep it one more year. Let's, let's see how it does. Uh, as you're making your list of trials and failures, you may wonder why God hadn't cut you down. If you're looking at the progress you've made spiritually, you may say, I hadn't made any. 
And it may hit you that, boy, God seems to have given me one more chance. Those kind of things may come to you as you count your, your trials and your failures. So that's the first thing I want you to do is look back. Blessings, trials, failures, put all that together. And what you conclude from that is that we'll give you a good look back. Now, obviously, there's a second assignment. The name of the sermon is Looking Back and Planning Ahead, so you can probably figure out the second assignment. Second assignment is do something about it. Once you've looked back, you know what you've been blessed with, you know where your troubles are, you know what worked and what didn't, and how God has maybe given you another chance. Plan ahead. When you went into a Roman city over the gates, there was usually a picture of the god Janus, J-A-N-U-S, for which we've named January. Uh, Janus was the gatekeeper god. And they, they let him keep the gates because Janus had a kind of an unusual feature. He had two faces. So he could look in two directions. That's a good thing if you're a gatekeeper. <laughs> you could look in two directions. So since we're in January, uh, maybe that's a good thing to do. We're going to look back, look forward, look in both directions. If you don't plan ahead, the first exercise, the first assignment was useless. Uh, probably shouldn't have wasted our time doing it. But now that we've done it, looking forward is really, really important because we got the chance to make some things better. So I was thought about bringing one of our youngsters up here that likes riddles to see if they could figure this riddle out. little boy came up with it. He told his dad, he said, Dad, I've got a riddle for you. He said, there's three frogs sitting on a limb by a pond. And one frog decides to jump in the pond. So how many frogs are left? Dad said, well, that's easy. He said, there's two. If you got three, one jumps in. Then you got two left. Little boy said, no, that's wrong. He said, let me repeat it for you. He said, there are three frogs on this limb by a pond, and one of them decides to jump in the pond. How many are left? The dad said, ah, I get it. I know how frogs operate. If one jumps in the pond, the other two will get excited, and they'll jump in the pond too. So you got zero left. Little boy said, no, Dad, that's not the right answer. The answer is three. I only said the frog decided to jump in the pond. Okay. Make you think of New Year's resolutions? Okay. Deciding to do something and doing something are two very different things. Did you ever, well, I just read some statistics to you about that, about how people do on resolutions. They decide that this is going to be different or this is going to be different or they're going to lose weight or they're going to save money or they're going to do all the biggies and nothing happens. In fact, I've read that the average, I don't want to discourage you, but the average resolution supposedly is kept for eight days. Uh, everybody decides that, yeah, I'm going to do this. 
but deciding doesn't really get it done. Um, and maybe deciding is kind of a, a weak word compared to resolution. I don't know. I didn't look up the Greek or try to figure out what the difference is, but resolution sounds stronger, doesn't it? Make a resolution. That sounds like a lot better than just deciding. Um, maybe we ought to say, I, I'm really, really deciding to do this. And maybe that would help us a little bit. I don't know. I looked in the Bible for resolutions. There's some resolutions in the Bible. And as, as we plan ahead, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just going to show you some characters in the Bible that did it. Daniel, one that came to my mind first. Daniel was a young man, probably the age of some of you teenagers sitting up front here. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to his city, Jerusalem, took a bunch of people back to Babylon with him. And when he got there, he said, now, I want you to pick out the best of the best. Pick out the really good kids in this bunch. And I'm going to make them Babylonians. They're going to be good. I'm going to send them a special school. I'm going to let them live in the palace. I'm going to give them a certain amount of food each day off of the king's table. They're going to be treated well. And Daniel, in that situation, Daniel 1.8 said, Daniel resolved to not defile himself with the royal food from the king's table. There were some things that, according to God's law, he couldn't eat. So he said he resolved not to defile himself with what the king offered. Now you realize that caused some problems. Everybody knows the rest of the story. He asked to not have to eat all that, and the steward allowed him to have a test, and he came out of it well, and he was healthy, and everything just went on and on through the story, and Daniel just kept serving God, kept resolving to do it the right way. Daniel was blessed. He kept getting promoted. Just kept getting better and better. Daniel chapter 6, I believe it is. Yeah, Daniel chapter 6. This is toward the end of the story. This is almost the end of the book of Daniel. Now remember how it started. A teenager going into a strange environment, his life on the line. No reason Nebuchadnezzar would even keep him alive. But he resolved to do it God's way. And here's what happened at the ultimate conclusion. And this is right after the lion's den thing. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. This, this is a pagan king issuing this decree. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You see, Daniel's just a good old Sunday school story. Unless 
You're starting a new job this year. Unless you're going to a new school. Unless you're moving from high school to college or something like that. Or taking a new job with a new group of peers that you don't know anything about and they're probably not sharing your values. If you're making a move like that, then Daniel's not just a good old Sunday school story. Daniel's the way to plan ahead. Think, look back and then see what's given you trouble and all of that. Look forward and plan, say, I resolve not to do this again. I resolve to change this, no matter what the consequences are. We know the rest of the story. If you do what's right, God will bless you. Jacob. Back in Genesis 28, Jacob had a vision or an actual happening with he saw angels going up and down the ladder and and all of that happened at Bethel. And and when he woke up in the morning, uh, I like this part of the story, when he woke up he said, surely the Lord is in this place. He said, I'm out in the middle of nowhere here. And sometimes we feel like we're out in the middle of nowhere, but the Lord is in this place. And after his vision and after what he had seen, he said this. He said, he resolved, if you go with me, God, if you go with me, I'll live for you, and I will surely give you one-tenth of all I earn. He made that resolve after Bethel. Now, that's another, just a good old Sunday school story. Unless you talk to some folks around here. Visit with some folks here who last year decided on faith to take Financial Peace University. And they stuck with it. And they they saw how things work and they resolved to give a certain percentage. Ask them how their life's going. Ask them how... Is God really, does he really bless people? Just talk to some folks. we got a lot of them around here. We're going to have more and other financial peace universities starting up pretty soon. We've got people in a legacy class now. And those people that have been through that and have figured it out, if you will, We'll tell you, once we decided, well, maybe that's not the big word. Maybe we resolved. Maybe we really, really decided to do this all the time, consistently, regularly, no matter what the circumstances. God does bless. We have people that can witness to that. David wrote a couple of things in the Psalms that I want to read to you. I'll turn to Psalm 119 if you've got your Bibles. We're going to read the first 16 verses. It's kind of a long reading, but let me tell you why we're reading it. You may have read it a hundred times. It's kind of a famous part of the Psalms. But it's just a good old Sunday school psalm. Until you realize as you read this, The man writing this is a man after God's own heart. That's what God said about him. 
you're listening to a man who God said, this guy's after my heart. Listen to what David said. Psalm 119.1. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts. They are to be fully obeyed. Any of you know anybody like that? Blameless? Do nothing wrong? Follow all of God's laws? David said, those folks are blessed. He didn't say he was one. He just said, that'd be really good. Look at what he says next. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. Okay. See what David's doing? He said, man, it would be people who got it figured out and who follow God and obey everything he says. He said, that's wonderful. I wish I was like that. Then I wouldn't be put to shame. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. David's resolving here. David is deciding it would be wonderful to be like that, and I'm going to be like that. I'm going to head that direction. I'm going to learn your righteous laws. I'm going to obey your decrees. And then maybe as he's writing, it hits him. That's going to be tough. So listen to what he says. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can I do that? This is going to be hard. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. There's a resolution for you. And obviously worked for David. He ended up being a man after God's own heart. That's what he wanted. That's what he decided, what he really, really decided. And then he asked God to help him. He said, I really do want to learn what you want, and I really do want to do it. So help me. And I'll stay in your word. I'll memorize some of it. I'll repeat it all the time. That's a resolution, folks. He made another one back in Psalm 116. I want to look at it briefly. Psalm 116, verse 2. David said, Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. I'll call on him as long as I live. David said, I'm going to always pray to God. I'm going to stay in his word. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to memorize some of it. I'm going to obey it the best I can, and I'm asking him to help. And I'm going to pray all the time. I'll call on him as long as I live. 
Obviously, everybody at the start of a new year says, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I mean, those are two standard Christian things. Sometimes we don't do too well at that. Look at the kind of commitment, the kind of resolve that David had, and maybe that will help you. Let me give you one specific one, and I could give you lots of specific ones, but I thought this was interesting. Job, Job 31.1. Maybe decide isn't a strong enough word for you, and maybe resolve isn't even big enough. Listen to the word Job used. Job said, I have made a covenant. I've made a covenant. You ever think about making a covenant with God? Not what Job was doing. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully on a girl. Job, he he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look at that. That doesn't even sound like a good old Sunday school verse, does it? Anybody ever learn that one in Sunday school? I don't think we ever taught that in Sunday school. Boys, you made a covenant with your eyes not to look at a girl lustfully. That's not a Sunday school verse. That's a 2015 verse is what that is. That's a verse for this time. It's a verse for this age. Because if you read the statistics about this specific problem, it's a scary thing. If the statistics are right, I'm not going to do this because it's kind of embarrassing to even talk about it, but if statistics are right, if I had every Christian man in here under 50 stand up and said, now you can sit down if you don't look at pornography. Only 3 in 10 would sit down. I'm not kidding. The numbers are in 60 to 70% of Christian men regularly. You wonder why the world's messed up? 32% of Christian men that age admit they are addicted. Another 12% say they, they probably are addicted. That's the world we live in. That's where we are. That's what Satan's thrown at us. That's what we've bought. I could add other specific problems that Satan's thrown at us. The answer is all the same. The answer is do what I recommended. Look back, see how the past year's gone, see what went right, see what went wrong. Examine yourselves. There's some good things going on. There's some things that aren't so good going on. After you've looked back, then plan ahead. Agree, this needs to change. And maybe you can decide, and that's good enough. Maybe you need to resolve. Maybe you need to make a covenant. I know one thing about making resolutions that the statistics bear out. The more people you share it with, the better chance you've got of keeping it. Because you're making a commitment 
to other people, and you get help from them, in this community anyway. In this family, if you tell us a problem you've got that you want to fix and you've decided this is how you're going to do it, that's what we're here for, is to help. That's kind of hard to say because we don't do much of that. You know, we don't do much confessing and asking for help. doesn't happen much anymore. Maybe it's too hard to walk down the aisle. I don't know. I mean, I know it's embarrassing. Hard to take that first step. Hard to walk to the front. If it was ever a day it ought to happen, maybe the first day of the new year ought to be a good day to do it. I mean, the crowd's not even that big today. I know there's a lot of people watching in on live streaming, but you may not know. We, we turn that off during the invitation. Somebody around the world, they don't know who's coming forward at Northside this morning. If you look back and are planning ahead and need to take that first step and ask us to help, Maybe you ought to be the first one to step out. You'll influence some other. There ought to be a lot in this audience that ask for help. If we really look back and plan ahead like we ought to. If you've made that kind of resolution or decision or covenant, we'd like nothing better than to help you. You need to change something in your life, anything in your life. It'll draw you closer to God. We invite you to do it today. Let's stand and sing.